Welcome back to Onto the Ball. I'm your host, Scott Nicholl, and I'm joined, as always, by Travis Morgan. And we're here again to go through a season review, this time for Liverpool. 22-23 season. It was anything but vintage. It went absolutely nothing according to plan, especially off the back of the Community Shield victory over Manchester City. I personally thought it was going to be another season of challenging right at the very top. And it was an absolute catastrophe. Travis, how are you? Thanks for I'm joining good. me to tear Liverpool. I've got, I've got the receipts in WhatsApp, mate. I've got the receipts. <laughs> I've got the receipts <laughs> from the charity shield. But no, no, no. Yeah, we've got some bits to cover. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. I'm good though. I'm good. I'm, I'm ready. Uh, feel good. Feel fresh. I've had a nice day. So yeah, good. Good. Let's get straight into it. As I mentioned, the charity shield, it was more of the same from the season before picked up where we left off, matching Man City all over the park, getting the W. It was exciting times for the Reds. Obviously, Darwin Nunes, he came off the bench that day, if I remember, and still scored. Yeah. And yeah. you thought, let's go, Darwin Nunes. He's going to rival Erling Haaland this season. It set it all up nice and then oh, it just went wrong from there. Um, might as well start with Darwin Nunes. He had a pretty... Oh, disappointing start to the season. And I think that might have set the tone for the whole season for us at Liverpool. And it was disappointing in terms of his attitude, let him down when it counted most. Welcome to the English Premier League, getting sent off against Crystal Palace on his home debut. It couldn't have been much worse than that. Um, and I was thinking of some players who have joined Liverpool. I'm watching the Peter Crouch thing on Amazon Prime at the minute. Have you watched it? No, I've not actually. I've heard good things about it though. I think you mentioned it's really it good. Me yeah. and my little girl are watching it because she's Liverpool daft like me, and uh, yeah. we're halfway through and it's really good. But we're on the bit now where he joins Liverpool, and I think he went half a season without scoring, so nineteen games before he got yeah. his first goal. And I, I was thinking, when you move to a big club, you gotta um, hit the hit the road running. You gotta arrive with a bang. And Nunes, he took a bit of flack in some preseason friendlies. Do you remember? Yeah. He responded to a few on uh, on his Twitter, kind of like shushing them or something. I can't remember sticking his fingers in his ears. It was something like that. And yeah. I thought, if you're acting like that in a preseason friendly, imagine what it's going to be like the real deal in the Premier League up against Premier League proven defenders with experience, knowing how they're going to wind him up. And it went exactly to script. Um but yeah, I remember Trent Arnold tweeting after we beat Man City in the Community Shield, we're ready. And I got to admit, I was firing into the group to you and Neil saying Liverpool are ready. I'm delighted with the transfer activity. Yeah. And then that first game, Fulham, Fulham away. That set the tone for Trent's season as well, to be honest. Mitrovic yeah. climbing all over Trent at the back post, put them ahead 2-1. We clawed it back to two each, but that was two points dropped. In terms of vintage Liverpool the season before, but that set the marker. Next up, obviously, was Crystal Palace that we just mentioned. Peter Crouch made a slow start to his Liverpool career. Andy Carroll was injured for probably the first six months of his Liverpool career. Um, no, not the six months. I think he played the last few games. He signed in January. I don't think we've seen him till April. And it was a delayed start. And I don't think he ever recovered from that. Darwin yeah. Nunes 
I've got to firmly put him in that category. I think that set him back for the whole season in terms of confidence, in terms of his morale, letting himself down, letting his teammates down, getting sent off. And it was a bit of an uphill struggle from there. Um, but, you know, we were learning as we went along. He was still a, a young lad. Klopp would have been in his ear, calming him down, telling him not to rise to it, to chill out. Um, and then, obviously, we went to OT, third game of the season, after battering Man United 9-0 on aggregate the season before. It almost looked like the exact game to get our season back on track, to start our season well. And then... You talk us through it at OT. To me, it was such a surprise that Liverpool shrunk under that ferocious Old Trafford crowd who were baying for blood that day. Glazers out was in full swing and we were lambs to slaughter that day. It was, a, it was a bad time to play us. Like I said, we were on the back of two defeats as well. And it was both both teams sort of needed a win to kickstart the season in that game. I think it was a dangerous game for, for both teams and... We we started the game really quickly. I can remember back to that game. It was a game that we had to win and couldn't afford to even draw in. And I, I think you sort of thought the same thing. But just touching on your point with Darwin Nunes as well, I think when you're a young lad, the thing that brings the pressure is the fee. I think it was such a big fee to go for. And he wasn't... Well, he, was, he had scored goals for Benfica, but it's not really like one of those leagues that you would class as the top five leagues, like where Haaland was scoring in the Bundesliga and stuff like that. And that added pressure and, and the media and all the attention and making these direct comparisons was always going to be very dangerous for him. And that's why he's probably had a little bit of a bite back on Twitter because, um, like you said, he's going into a new environment. And not only that, on top of that, I think Klopp had to find sort of a new way of integrating him into the team as well. So it was sort of like a double-barreled sort of, prob not problem, but an, an sort of a new way, a new identity for Liverpool to have to combat. And you know my theories. I thought... I well, you called it, didn't you? Right yeah, at the start, you said he's hard, but I'm just not sure if he's right for Liverpool. And I thought you were winding me up. No. Yeah, and, and and that was the difficult thing. I, it wasn't a direct replacement for Mane because there were two totally different types of player. So it was always going to be interesting to see how Klopp integrated Nunes into the team, whether he was going to play straight down the middle, whether he was going to drift in off the left and stuff. I think sometimes with a player like Nunes, because his finishing isn't top tier at the moment, I can see why he was being played wide to start with. But I think if you're going to be a goal scorer, I think sometimes it's just best to put a player down the middle from the start. And and I think because you had Diaz out for such a long time as well, that sort of killed you a little bit. And Jota was out as well. You had well, no... was the thing. He, he was playing down the middle to begin with. That was the thing. It was yeah. kind of um, Diaz on the left, Nunes in the middle and Salah on the right. And it just, things weren't clicking for him. And mm. he... Already, Man United fans are blaming for most of this. The compilations of his misses yeah. started rolling out only two, three, four games into his Liverpool career, and that's when the pressure builds. But you mentioned there, like having biting back on Twitter. Come on, yeah, in a preseason friendly, is that on Klopp and the management team? Do you think they should have been? Do you think that was their first mistake of a long season? 
to not be sitting down and teaching him what he should and shouldn't do on social media, how to conduct himself, because he let himself down big time there. You do not fight back in a preseason friendly. I think after that, they definitely would have had had to have had strong words with him about his sort of conduct and how he portrays himself in the media and stuff like that. Because, like you said, the pressure is intense in this country in terms of players hitting the ground running and memes and winding players up. It's there's no rest for the wicked, and it's something that you can't avoid if you're going to be a top player. You have to have that sort of temperament. I think touching on his temperament as well, it's something that he sort of struggled with throughout this season. To be fair. Even when he came back after his suspension, he's quite easy to wind up. You can get into him and stuff. I think he needs to concentrate on his football sooner rather than later. I mean, he's got the potential. He has got the potential to be a top player. He's got every single physical attribute you would want in terms of height, pace, power. He's very strong. He's aggressive. And he can be a top player. It's just, I think he needs trust from the manager. I've never felt that. Klopp's 100% trusted him and you can see with the amount of minutes that he got towards sort of the second half and the back end of the season, he he probably would have liked to have played a lot more than he did. Um, And I think a lot of the Liverpool fans were sort of wondering why he isn't getting as many minutes as he is. And with Diaz coming back, he was straight in and Nunes was on the bench. So, look, we've seen this with Klopp before where he does give players time to sort of settle. And for that first season, you don't sort of see players as much as you think you would do. Um, Carvalho's in the same boat. I think he's been linked with a loan I saw on Twitter the other day. But mm-hmm. again, Klopp likes to give players the right amount of time. And and I think with the sign of the Gakpo, that would have helped Klopp a lot because he did hit the ground running and he sort of integrated into the team, sort of in that little Bobby Firmino role, that false nine role, and he's adapted to that well. So I think that would have been a little bit of a relief for Klopp. What I think that might actually help Nunes long-term as well, because I think it will help him settle. He'll get a good pre-season. Don't forget, I think he'll have a proper good pre-season with Liverpool, with all the lads. And and I, I expect to see a better Nunes this season. Well, that'll be the interesting thing. As you mentioned there, Cody Gakpo's been signed and all the um, all the views are that he is going to be the Bobby Firmino replacement, false nine through the middle. Luis Diaz is an absolute shoo-in for that left wing, even more so now that he's took the number seven shirt, the mm. famous number seven shirt that's just been vacated by James Milner. Salah's a fixture on the right. There's a big question mark over Nunes now, like where does he fit in? Um can Jurgen Klopp integrate him into the side as a central striker? I th- honestly don't think he can. Not if we're going to play the way that Klopp has always played with the false nine, the Firmino role. It looks tailor-made for Cody Gakpo. What a signing he was, by the way. Yeah, um, We'll get on to that. But yeah, I mean, look, Firmino's left and that kind of brings us nicely onto the where it went wrong for Liverpool. Injuries to Diogo Jota. injuries to Bobby Firmino, injuries to Luis Diaz, all at the wrong time. We smashed uh, Bournemouth 9-0 at home after the Man United defeat. So it was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel thinking, are we going to put this slow start to bed? But next up came away to Arsenal. And to me, we were unlucky to lose 3-2 at the Emirates. It was an end-to-end game. But that was the game where I'm sure Jota and Luis Diaz got injured in the same game. I might be wrong, but I'm sure it was 
that same mm. game. So it was like devastating coming out of that game with with the L and two key players injured. And that's when we started to see Oxley Chamberlain be utilised in a front three. Um, he was flip flopping in and out with Carvalho, and it was it was reminiscent of the season after we won the league, so twenty twenty one season when we had no centre backs. It was yeah, like that, except it was it was the other end of the pitch, and <laughs> um, you know, like you just mentioned, it was like the Reese Phillips and Nat Phil- uh, Reese Williams and Nat Phillips in defence. It was like that having Oxley Chamberlain on the left wing. He brought absolutely nothing. Yeah. So you know, it's not to say look, if there's a cup final next week and everyone's fit, Jurgen Klopp's got a dilemma. But over the course of a season, if you're gonna have a, a Gakpo dropout injured or a Luis Diaz, Jota, Nunes to come in, it's it's what you want. It's exactly what you want. Yeah. But as the season went on, it was just so frustrating. It was like I say, it's reminiscent of 2021. You were almost begging Jurgen Klopp to make a change to make a change in formation, a change of shape, a change of personnel, trying to put um, square pegs in square holes. And he waited too long, too long. I know we had the resurgent last couple of months of the season. It just wasn't enough to get top four. Yeah. Whether there was another five games, whether we would have got top four, I think we would have personally, but... You know, as you went through the season, we done a, a live stream. It was our first ever live stream watching a uh, doing a watch along Liverpool Leeds at Anfield. Getting yeah. beat two one by Leeds at Anfield was as low as you can get. Um, so if you look at the Leeds at home, Bournemouth away, and Nottingham Forest away, them three games, them nine points cost us top four. Yeah. If you're going to finish top four, you have to beat Nottingham Forest away. At the start of the season as well, when they were struggling, you have to beat Leeds at home. Leeds got relegated, didn't they? Yeah. It was Leeds, Southampton and Leicester. Leicester, yeah. Bournemouth, we beat 9-0 at Anfield. How on earth did we lose 1-0 away to Bournemouth? You know, when you put it down on paper, we didn't deserve to to get the top four. And Mm. it wrote... Look, looking back in hindsight, it was a great signing. I absolutely love Cody Gakpo to bits. Yeah. But every man and his dog, and I'm sure you as a rival fan were thinking, how on earth has Klopp not signed a centre mid? Everyone's been screaming about it. And it it was painful. If you go back to the August transfer window, we've we've skirted over it as well. That signing of Arthur Mello on transfer deadline day. In on loan. That was only what a week or two after Klopp saying, I don't need any centre mids. Look at all my centre mids, all the attributes they've all got. Tell me what I'm missing out of that midfield I've got at my disposal. And then a week or two later, he was saying, I admit I got it wrong. I need a centre mid. It was all a bit like, was that planned? Because Jurgen Klopp's not going to hang himself out to dry a week or two after he's made a statement. So then you then started thinking, is he trying to now make a statement to the owners? That I'm trying, trying to toe the line and say well, the squad's ready, but now I'm trying to tell you I need some reinforcements. And you've got to wonder how much of a hand he had in this Arthur Mello signing. So on deadline day, I can't imagine he had any at all. I imagine it was the director of football trying to get something over the line, a bit like Man United did with Savitsa when Ericsson got injured. And... It, it could exactly not have worked out any worse. 
Yeah. Oh, it was desperate, desperate. And then for him to get injured after 13 minutes of his debut and not see him for the rest of the season, that package was something like £5 million all in over the season, wages and some sort of token fee. And we're just I chucking think, five yeah. millions about just like that. I think there was a period of time during the season for Liverpool. This is going to sound really weird where I say when I say this, but I think everybody sort of felt sorry for themselves and like they were just sort of looking to each other for accountability. Like nobody wanted to take responsibility for the situation and grab it by the scruff, scruff of the neck. Now we all know it was well documented. You needed a midfielder, like you said, every man and his dog could see that, but. Besides that, there were so many players underperforming. Like, for me, the main two, for me, were Trent Alexander-Arnold and Fabinho. Their performance levels had dropped off so badly, and they were two really key players for you. Trent from an offensive point of view, and Fabinho from a defensive point of view. He normally screens that back four better than anyone in the league with Rodri, for me. He's been probably the best DM in the league for the last five years. So... For them to not be performing at the level they did and then for Trent to show the levels of performance that he did in the last 10 games, there was just no excuse. Yes, his role was tweaked a little bit. He played a hybrid role. But why wasn't he doing that 10 games before? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what was the reason? And sometimes we, we question managers, we question, like, directors of football and infrastructures of clubs but sometimes you do have to look at the players as well and I think same with Man United like there's just no excuse sometimes for the levels of performances that were being displayed and there was a chunk of the season just after Christmas after the World Cup up until about mid to late February you were just poor and you were getting beaten away at Wolves 3-0 and stuff like that like I can remember that result um, you just had some really poor results, like you said, cost you the top four over over a period of a couple of months where you just you looked like you were going to concede three every single game, and it was just it became a little bit embarrassing. Well, it's not just the players though, and you know me, I'll never slag Klopp off ever. Yeah, but some of that does fall at his door, just Definitely. like twenty twenty one when he was trying to fix the centre back crisis. He was trying Fabinho there. He was trying Henderson there. And by trying to fix the centre-backs, he ruined the midfield. So we had yeah. a, a bobcat defence and a below-standard midfield. And it was yeah. only when he decided to stick the midfielders back in midfield and do whatever he could with reserve centre-backs, being Reese Williams and Nat Phillips, that he finally find, find a way through it and we got top yeah. four. You could say the exact same here. This was crying out for the defence to have more protection. Fabinho, like you say, was struggling like mad. He needed that double pivot of a second CDM, a bit like Man United do, go 4-2-3-1. It was crying out for it for so long and he left it so late to do this three-box-three formation that uh, I'm pretty sure Pep Guardiola brought into fashion, but we copied him to get that more solidity. So basically, when we defend, we had five players there, um, the three, then the two, with Trent as the inverted fullback. Um, But yeah, you know, players like Fabinho... I put it on tape a couple of months ago when we were talking about Liverpool's substandard season and we need reinforcements in the midfield. But I find it bizarre that there's no talk of people leaving. And when I say people, I mean maybe like Harvey Elliott. I don't think he's going to make the standard. Fabinho had his worst season, like you say, in five years. There's no talk of him leaving. If you're going to talk about refreshing and again, I've mentioned this in previous streams, Liverpool have always been the blueprint 
or the benchmark for smart buys, areas that you need. Arsenal have done that. Arsenal have copied the the Liverpool blueprint. 4-3-3, pace and goals from the wings, a striker who's an absolute workhorse in Gabriel Jesus. But again, Arsenal are doing what we should have. Thomas Partey looks like he's going to be leaving. The guy's just turned 30. If they could get any kind of fee for them, uh, for him, I'd be... I'd be applauding yeah. it. You get rid of a 30-year-old for a decent price. Place him with rice. Uh, place him with rice or even someone 23, 24 years old. Uh, I don't know if Lavia is going to be in Ooh. that bracket. Probably a bit more expensive than that. That is smart, smart business. Strengthening while you're at the top. Not letting anything go stale. But this summer, Fabinho's got to be leaving. Unless someone else can see something that I'm not, I know his form picked up a bit with a formation change and he had Trent in is a kind of second CDM playmaker role there, quarterback role, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. I'm not fooled. Like you say, he was so off the pace with everything, with his tackling, with he had, looked like he had no pace. He was turning like a, a ship in the sea. Even his attitude when he two-footed that guy from behind in the FA Cup, he wanted sent off there. I've yeah. said it in the FA Cup against Brighton. It was an awful challenge. But that's the thing. So, I mean, where are we going in this summer? If we're trying to buy all these new midfielders, what is it going to be? Henderson and the likes of Fabinho, Thiago, back up to these three three CMs if we get three. I don't even think we're going to get three, but I just, I can't believe there's not more talk of it, um, of the likes of Fabinho leaving. There's a few whispers about Thiago leaving, but what's, what's your take from um, a Man United fan looking at Liverpool? Because obviously, you know, I've got lots of opinions on the Man United squad. Yeah, and yeah. Strengthen, but do you think Fabinho's finished? I don't think he's finished, but I can understand why you might want to cash in now when you say that. I do, I do actually agree with that. I think a couple of those have to leave. I mean, if you look at the options you've got at the minute, it's very imbalanced in terms of, obviously, Milner's left. I think McAllister's a great signing, especially at, at the money that you paid for him. I think he's going to be a real asset to you. It reminds me of what I feel Coutinho did for you. I think he can have that sort of impact on the team when I look at it. But then if you look at the other options, you've got Curtis Jones, you've got um, Fabinho now, you've got Bassetic, who I think is going to probably play an important role. But he's probably not in ready to be starting week in, week out for Liverpool. Oh, he's, still sure. a young, he's still a young lad. So it doesn't really leave much in terms of who's going to be playing with McAllister. Like I said, I think Henderson's gone for me, like, to me, I think he needs to be shifted on now. You, you got to be looking at shifting, shifting him on. He's been a fantastic captain and a fantastic servant for Liverpool. But like you said, in terms of it needing freshening up, him and Milner for me would be probably the ones that I would get rid of. You, then you've got Thiago as well, who is again caught between a rock and a hard place. He's probably about 32, can't stay fit. He would be probably another one. Them three, I think before Fabinho for me, because I still think Fabinho, his role in the team doesn't necessarily require lots of legs if the setup's right. I mean, to me, if you've got a midfield three of Fabinho, Trent and McAllister, that can do bits for me in terms of balance. Like, you've got Trent doing the box-to-box role, Fabinho sitting and McAllister, that creative spark in and around the front guys. 
that to me is a very, very good midfield with Trent's energy as well that he can bring to the side. I think he can bring his defensive qualities to that role as well. That's a pretty balanced three. And then you just need Bicetic underneath. Curtis Jones, I'm not sure about. I probably would keep him in and around. And, but I think you need one more higher profile signing. That would make the six midfielders for me that would go into the new season positively with Henderson, Thiago, Milner going out the other way. I've got this horrible feeling that um, we're only going to see one more CM come in. And I can't even put my money on that. I can't even guarantee that FSG are going to give us the funds to sign this uh, Taram or Kone or both. I can't even see it unless there's some outgoings. And we mentioned it in the Man United season review. We're at this stage now where we need a few outgoings to bring in some funds to to release some wages for a new signing. Yeah. But I, I want to be proved wrong. I want to be proved wrong that FSG have got kind of 100, 120 million pounds because. The tagline when we give up on Jude Bellingham was that we had the 120-ish million, but yeah. we'd be better served to spend it on the likes of three players, for example. Yeah. See you next Now I'd be I'd be delighted if we did have this 120 million to spend. I'd be absolutely delighted and I'll believe it when I see it. And that's the problem. Um, and like you say, we're gonna wait all summer to see how it pans out. Twitter is going absolutely mad. It really is. It's it's I haven't been on much the last couple of days because they're going absolutely mental. They're doing that thing where um, they say when the window's closed, oh, there's nothing we can do. The window's open. Uh, the window's closed. And then when it opens and people are moaning, they're like, the window's just open. Give it time. And then yeah. when it's nearly closing, they're like, yeah. we haven't done enough. Bit. It's just moan, 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 no matter yeah, whether yeah. it's open, just open, just about to close. And look, all football fans are impatient, especially when you're you're looking to catch up the top teams, which definitely Liverpool and Man United are trying to do. But for me, I'm praying that Thiago is sold to Saudi Arabia. If we could bring in some sort of fee for, uh, I think he's 31 or he's yeah just about to turn 32. Um, that would be great business if we could bring in 10, 15, 20 million at a push. I can't see it, but you know, free up some big wages again. I'd keep Curtis Jones. I've seen enough. He's got the attributes. Fabinho, I'm on the fence. I, I personally think he's finished. I think when you think of Fabinho, uh, yeah. you mentioned like his, his greatest attributes or like maybe his agility, his timing in the tackle with his go-go gadget legs. I yeah. think his greatest attributes are the ones that deserted him most this last season. Mm. And if you if your main skill set are the ones that are letting you down, then surely that's the start of a decline. But yeah, I, I hope I'm proved wrong. And obviously, I trust Jurgen Klopp to make the right call. But I did say in a poddy a couple of months ago when we were right in the mud, I said, We not only will not get rid of Fabinho, we'll give him a new three-year deal. That's the way mm. we are. Uh, I've seen that Corbali read on Twitter call as sentimental FC. A new contract for Milner, a new contract for Henderson. It'd be a new contract for Fabinho. And I really do fear this is the beginning of the end of our short burst as one of the best teams in the world. I think, champions, though, I think what champions. frustrates the fans, though, Scott, I think what frustrates the fans, same with United fans, is they want to see a vision with the recruitment. That's what it is. Like It doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter how long it takes the deals to come in. But I think when Arsenal at the moment and Man City do business 
and they're going in for a player, it looks like they're going to get the target. Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, because yeah. there's not much noise around it. You just hear one little rumour, the bids go in, they chase the player, and more often than not, they get it. And you can see as a fan what they're trying to do. Like Arsenal, with Timber, for example, they want a ball-playing centre-half to go next to Saliba. There's been a couple of bids that are going in. The player likes the sound of Arteta's vision. That deal's going to get done. Same with Man City. Kovacic, you didn't hear anything. We want Kovacic, deal done. That That's all you want your club to do. And Liverpool... Mm under like the likes of Michael Edwards and your old sporting director did used to normally operate in that way. I think now it's frustrating because you've signed McAllister, yes, but there was a need for a revamp in that central midfield area and the links to like Kone, Charam, players like Agate, Valverde link's been quite strong today as well. Though Apart from the Valverde one that I've just mentioned, it's gone a little bit quiet and it's yeah. like you just want... You just yeah, that's the, and that's actually. the thing, isn't it? Because money talks. And if we had the money there, things would move a lot quicker, wouldn't they? And that you can tell, you can just feel it. We're trying to shop in the bargain basement. Yeah. Um, and I said to you in the group chat last week, this reminds me, in fact, I tweeted it. This reminds me of Brendan Rogers before the 13-14 season where we nearly won the league. We signed Iago Aspas. Luis Alberto, Ali Sissoko on loan. These were all like six million, seven million pound players. They were punts. They were gambles. Uh, they see the big bucks come in and they want it all to themselves, don't they? They don't want to reinvest in the team. No, they, that's all we had. We had 30 million. So rather than spend it on one decent player to bolster the squad. You buy four duds. He bought four gambles that all turned out to be a dud. There was a fourth player. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. Luis Alberto, Aspas. Um, was it Sissoko? No, no, he was years before that. Uh, Colo Turi on a free as well was that summer. And um, it, it ultimately cost us the league. In my opinion, because none of them had an impact on the league. Well, Aspas did. He had that corner against Chelsea in the last game that was instantly forgettable. But if you yeah. Google Aspas corner versus Chelsea, it'll come <laughs> up. It's a gif. It's a meme. Um, but listen, obviously the money is greater now. So back then it was like six, seven million punts. None of them worked out. But now in this day and age where if you want a quality player, you know, you're talking Declan Rice. 100 million. You're talking Caicedo, 100 million. Jude Bellingham, 100 million. We're going to try and buy two or three 30, 35, 40 million players and hope that they work out. It's a gamble. And obviously, you're relying on Jurgen Klopp and his coaching ability to get the best out of these players, to develop them, give them the confidence, give them the platform to perform. Yeah. And, you know, listen. Football fans are very knowledgeable. Now, I don't remember the last mad signing that Man United made. Uh, he just went pretty crazy over Casemiro. He was obviously top draw, but I remember when we were signing Allison, and Run everyone high. was going absolutely nuts. Like, it was all them gifts, like, here we go. It's happening. Stay calm. You know that from the office? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. It. And it was like, everyone knew this is top, I'm top draw. Mm. And we are buying the absolute finished article to boost this team, not just the squad, but the team. Yeah. Now, you can tell when we sign. 
it's I think Michalis is going to be decent. I've watched enough of him last season. He's really, really good. Does that mean that he's going to push us on to win leagues? No one knows yet. Yeah, It'll be the same with Taram coming to a new league. He's young. It'll be the same with Kone. Um, you know, it, it's they're, they're, they're punts at the end of the day. They could end up going the way of Nabi Keita. Easy. Just didn't yeah. ever adjust to this league. It was probably one of the only blots on Jurgen Klopp's record. I say one of the only. Oxley chamberlain didn't work out very well. The likes of Loris Karius. But again, they were cheap stop gaps, uh, cheap gambles that turned out to be duds, like you say. But yeah, in this transfer window, I just wish, I wish we were going for a marquee signing, basically. If the owners could just watch some of the compilations you see going around on Twitter of Salah's best goals in the last couple of years and winning the European Cup. There's been lots of it going around. Last week it was this time last uh, this time in 2020 we won the league and it's watching. It just gets the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. Yeah. I love FSG to just watch that and just get a best adrenaline and say, I tell you what, the club's worth £6 billion. We've got no debt. I'm going to leverage £500 million against the club, and we're going to go for Declan Rice. Bish, bash, bosh. Just like Stan Kroenke's doing at Arsenal, he's relentless now. He is going to push and push and back and back until Arsenal, sooner or later, capitalise on a little dip by Man City, maybe get a good run in the European Cup, bring in more revenue, more TV money. The more you like that, the more higher calibre a player wants to join you. Yeah. Would Declan Rice join us now? I don't think he would. And it's not just because oh, no. we're not it's not just because we're not in the Champions, Champions League, League, but the pedigree, ain't it? Like I was just about to say exactly the same thing. Like you can see the players want to join these clubs with the projects and the vision, and they can see what's what it's looking like going forward. That's mm -hmm. why Arsenal are an attractive proposition at the moment, and they're being linked with such high quality players because of the vision of the manager and the club and everything seems very methodical and organized same with city like i said we're not shopping at harrods at the minute we're we're at house of fraser do you know what i mean in the sales we're just like <laughs> getting a couple of scraggly jumpers that are falling off hangers and that that's literally what we're doing tk max <laughs> <laughs> it's killing me mate like see it is it is making me jealous like seeing all these clubs in for like rice and kaiseido and we're getting Mount. And that's no disrespect to Mason Mount. I think he's a good player. But no, I just don't... Massive disrespect yeah. for him. Mm. I know you don't want him, and I never wanted him at Liverpool. When the attention went away from Liverpool, he's joining Man United. I was like, it feels like a bullet dodged here. Yeah. And I know you feel the same about Mason, Mason Mount. You've been like going all out for Casado, uh, who is top, top draw. Uh, I've done that short. Casado is going to win... Whoever he signs for, he's going to win them the league, unless it's Chelsea, because Chelsea are absolute yeah. dog food. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, as the season went on, it was too little, too late. Yeah, We've dropped out of the top four, out of the Champions League, I think for the first time in six or seven years. I think it was since Klopp's first half a season with us. And, you know, that's worrying times. But the more I look at it, look, we're in a bit of a transition here. We are not going for the league next year. I don't know if you think Man United are anywhere near challenging from the for the league, but yeah, I'm honest there. enough to say that we're at this we're a bit like Man United now. Yeah. Or a bit where Man United were last year. Eric Ten Hag's come in. It's going to be a bit of a project, bit of a transition. That's the way it feels now. Jurgen Klopp needs 
some of these kind of cheaper end buys like McAllister to hit the ground running, turn a 35 million pound player into a 70, 80 million pound player, rinse and repeat, whether that's Taram or Kone or yeah. uh, whoever else we're linked with. I know we're linked with that. Inacio, where's he from? Is he in the Portuguese league? Yeah, I think he's back. Mm. Sporting, is it? Um, and, you know, it's basically we're in a transition. We're looking for him to be repeating exactly what he'd done in 2016, 2017, 2018, kind of finding the 35 million Mo Salas, 30 million Ginny Wanyaldums and build another side. But it, yeah. it, it, all, it all looks a little bit out of kilter to me. I mean, to, so to me, Jurgen Klopp is almost starting another five-year cycle. So you'll build another team where in year two, three, you're looking to win European Cups and leagues, but he's only got three years left on his contract. So it's yeah. a bit like, is is he going to sign a new deal? Would we want him to sign a new deal? Because if he isn't going to get backed and it's not going to go like it did uh, from in 2017, 2018, I've said it before, I, I think Jurgen Klopp should walk because even more now in this environment we're in, money has changed like you could never have predicted. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, obviously buying um, Newcastle, Newcastle filthy rich. Stan Kroenke's going in, like spending 200 million net every summer. Man City have had a quiet um, couple of years in terms of net spend. I think they've been frightened off a little bit with these 115 charges, but it looks like they've kind of wiped their nose clean for the last few years, which has given them the confidence to go again. The link with Rice for 100 million, that Gavardiol for another 100 million, 200 million. They'll no doubt spend a bit more on some other players. I know there might be one or two that leave. Calvin Phillips is linked with leaving. Bernardo Silva could leave as well. Yeah, Bernardo Silva. And it is if we get Qatar as well, like that that will make it really yeah. tough for Liverpool as well. I mean, like you said, the competition's fierce. Like uh, you just touched on Newcastle. They've they've signed Tonali. They've they're gonna make some good signings this year. Um yeah, Newcastle. So they're and, and it'd be interesting to see how they do in the Champions League as well. Like you said, I think from a Liverpool perspective, though, being in the Europa League, you, I don't think you're going to take that competition seriously. I think it gives you an opportunity to play sort of like your second string in there, get everybody ticking over, keeping them happy. And it might create the buzz that you sort of need to give like the club that lease a life in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, it's a massive trophy, Europa League, but it might be like, rotation you get a little bit further in the competition it, it can keep your season yeah, alive i don't i don't even think we'll do that i think if we like you say we'll use it to to rest the first team and it might give us that little bit of an edge in the league because really we're just got to be looking at getting back in the champions league next season now yeah so top four comfy um but i can't see Jürgen Klopp's for anyone apart from the top two. I genuinely don't. I, d- I don't think it's going to be comfy for anyone because if you look at it, I mean, United did get in. Technically, it was comfy, but there was some nervy moments. And if you look at it, Newcastle are getting stronger. Chelsea have got Pochettino now and they're, they're going to make some good signings. We don't know how they're going to be. They could come back strong this year. We don't know. United, again, you'd you'd like to think we will kick on. We might not make the signs that we want to make, but it's another year in terms of the development. We'll go again. Obviously, you're going to go again. So I can't see, apart from Manchester City, 
and probably Arsenal now because of how they're progressing. I think the other two spots are going to be tight, maybe even tighter than that it was this season, to be fair, because I, I wouldn't be able to put my money and say, yeah, they're a 100% guaranteed top four next year because Chelsea are, were way off and you will be better this season, I think. Yeah, obviously I've got a hope. I was just about to say, I, I honestly, unless we get some serious backing, I don't think Jurgen Klopp can do it again. I don't think he can he can turn uh, a squad full of 20, 25, 30 million pound players into a title winning side again. But I might be wrong and I hope I'm wrong. I hope with every bone in my body that I'm wrong. But um, is, is it next season that we'll have five Champions League places though? Is it something like the top four and the highest coefficient maybe in the UEFA rankings or something? That would be big. That yeah, because the format's getting changed, ain't it? Like there's two yeah. groups of 16 or something, isn't there? two league tables and that. It sounds crazy. absolute crap, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like you could literally play anyone anywhere. Like it's weird. Like on, on a couple of occasions, it's, it's just going to be weird, man. But... I think you're going to play eight games and it's four at home and four away but not the same team home and away no it sounds absolute yeah it sounds weird rubbish and yeah. I, I, I can predict once they do it for a year or two they'll go back to the old format yeah. everyone will say it won't work but um but yeah that's it so liverpool maybe get some more signings in mate let's hope you can get some more signings in same with united i'm in the same boat mate i i I want signings just as much as you mate so we can get some good shorts out do some analysis on some of the signings and that get some good shows in on on the signings and i'm looking forward to it but they need to get their asses in gear both clubs don't they they really do do some shorts whether you think the signing is going to be a hit or a miss i always like doing that at the start of season and then looking back because okay, I've done it before with with a player. Yeah, he'll be a hit. He'll score twenty a season. He scored three. <laughs> I think that was Fabio Barini <laughs> way back in the day. <laughs> so yeah, Europa League. That's all I've got to look forward to. And I am a, a man of my word. I will not watch a single Europa League game until it's the semi final. If we get that far, I absolutely hate Thursday night football with every ounce of my body i cannot stand that competition and now i'm in it finally finally in dublin that could be a little road trip for us couldn't it no way i wouldn't even go (laughs) you'll notice from the old retro top i'm wearing and what i've bought no kits until fsg leave or back jürgen klopp with some of their own money or leverage against the club because it's time and this is the manager to back but I'm not going to any games if I get offered any tickets until FSG out. Right, mate. That's it. Liverpool are absolutely in the mud. Underwhelming, awful season. But the poddy keeps going no matter what. We don't just sing when we're winning. And we're going to be back. We're going to do an Arsenal season review. The bottle jobs, as I call them. (laughs) Travis doesn't like me calling them the bottle jobs. He yeah. said it's archaic, <laughs> but we'll reveal more in the season review. We're going to get our mate Neil to join us, maybe Trav's cousin Skip. I might even ask my mate Josh of True Gunner if he's available to join us. Uh, and we'll talk about what went right and what went wrong for Arsenal. So join us in the next video. Um, but other than that, if you made it this far, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Travis, thanks for your time. And I'll Pleasure. see you in I'll the wait. next one. See you soon. Cheers, brother. Cheers, mate.
Oh, you beauty! What a headshot!